Today is February 7th, 2021. Welcome to Common Ground. The sermon series we are in is called Cultivating Joy. This sermon is called The Joy of Pleasure and Freedom, and the speaker is Joe Lumen. Enjoy. I am excited to be here, and I am... I mean, I'm always excited to be here. Last time I was here, it was just great. And I'm excited to be here. And I love talking to Chris and to the many people that are part of Common Grounds. And just, um, it's fun to find people that just have ideas that you can bounce off of and you can share and then you can grow together. And there is no judgment. There is just like, I love where you landed and maybe we didn't land in the same place, but that's okay. Like, I love what we're learning together. So today I'm going to talk about pleasure or cultivating joy through pleasure. And it's going to be a little bit different than um, what I, the way that I usually speak about things um, because I'm going to, we're going to just go through Genesis three basically uh, because Genesis three is how I landed in pleasure. Um, so we're gonna go through Genesis three and if you know the Bible is a little bit triggering for you, do like be aware of the fact that I will share it in a way that you probably have never been you know, exposed to before. Um, but we're going to read a little bit of it and then I'm going to stop every now and then and talk about it um, because pleasure has been weaponized way too much while suffering has been normalized. And switching that around and making that shift is important in our move toward liberation um, because pleasure is how we move toward liberation, actually. So I'm going to read a little bit. Um, Okay, so we're going to go to Genesis 3. Now the serpent was more cunning than any animal of the field which the Lord had made. And he said to the woman, God, has God really said you shall not eat from any tree of the garden? And the woman said to the serpent, from the fruit of the trees of the garden we may eat. But from the fruit of the tree, which is the middle of the garden, God has said you shall not eat from it or touch it or you will die. The serpent said to the woman, you certainly will not die. So I'll stop and talk a little bit about things and then we'll keep moving. But And you can ask me questions anytime, by the way. Uh, but... That's not what God said in Genesis 2. Like, if you look back at, you know, what happened, that's not, they could touch it and they were not going to die. Like, there is not, um, she is clearly sharing something that was not shared by God exactly. And if we read this as an allegory and what happens in our head and how we make things that are not into things that are, and we start believing things that are not, she was already feeling um, suppressed and like she couldn't, be a part of something. She was already feeling like there was something that she was, that, that was not allowed for her when that was not necessarily true. And if, in my opinion, how I read this, the serpent is not necessarily an outside being, but instead is this something that is inside of us, talking to us, um, says, you're not gonna die. And there was something inside of her, some sort of intuition that was telling her, you're just not gonna die. You're not gonna die. And if we keep reading, it says that she saw, I'm gonna read it. Uh, when the woman saw that the tree was good for food and that it was a delight to the eyes and the tree was desirable to make one wise, she took some of its fruit and ate. And then she gave some to the man and he ate too. She saw that it was good. She saw she was leaning into her intuition and she saw that it was good. She saw that it was desirable. She saw that there was something pleasurable about this fruit and she ate of it. She just ate of it. And it says right after them, the eyes of both of them were opened and they knew that they were naked and they sewed fig leaves to cover themselves. Um, 
And I just, I, I love this whole entire thing because it's talking about how their eyes of them were both opened when they gave themselves into pleasure. And I don't think that it is talking about how it was bad that they ate. What was bad that they, it's, they, they broke an agreement that they had made with someone. Um, and when we give into pleasure, not openly, when we give into pleasure um, after betraying someone, then we feel shame and we confuse that shame for the pleasure. We think that the pleasure, we think that the shame came from the pleasure, but the shame came from betrayal, whether it is self-betrayal or betraying somebody else. They had an agreement with this God, whatever God is. They had an agreement and they broke that agreement. And I believe that if Eve or you know the woman would have come to God and would have said, I see that this tree is really good and I kind of want it um, because I think that the tree is going to give me something that I need. I feel like I need to know, I, I have to have this knowledge. Um, I want my eyes to be opened. If she would have been able to do that, if she would have been feel safe enough to do that, then perhaps she just would have eaten of the tree, find pleasure in it, her eyes would have been opened and she wouldn't have felt shame. Because the problem is not that she sinned, the problem is that she, she felt shame and then she covered herself up. Because when we feel shame and we cover ourselves up because of pleasure, then we learn that to feel pleasure or to be ourselves and to give into our intuition, into believing that something is good and we want it, we, we believe that we have to cover that up. We believe that we have to put fig, fig trees over all of that. Because she was naked before and there was no issue with that, right? And if we think of nakedness as vulnerability, she was naked before, she was vulnerable before, she was known before, and there was no issue with that. It wasn't until she felt shame that she decided she needed to cover up, that she needed to cover up the, this, this shame. And there was also another option there. The option was to say, I'm feeling shame and I don't wanna cover it up, I just wanna expose it. Because we've been conditioned to believe that feeling shame is bad, instead of understanding that feeling shame is just leading us to understand that something, um, that, that we transgressed a relationship that we hurt somebody, that we transgressed perhaps a relationship with ourselves too. And instead of making fig leaves to cover up and stop being completely naked, vulnerable in our true selves, we could just lean into the shame and say, I don't wanna be covered up. I wanna continue to be naked, which means I have to be vulnerable enough to expose the shame. And then if we expose the shame, we realize that it wasn't pleasure that led to the shame. It wasn't um, that she gave into her intuition, into seeing the fruit was indeed good. Having the knowledge of good and evil is good. Having your eyes opened is good. What is not good is transgressing a relationship to be able to get that. What is not good is thinking that we have to be somebody else for someone so that we can get the pleasure. What is not good is having to betray ourselves or betray somebody else so that we can lean into our intuition. But if we are able to maintain our nakedness and when we feel shame, not rush to get the fig leaves to cover up, but instead maintain our nakedness and look at the person that we've transgressed, even if it is ourselves and say, I, will, I am committed to maintaining my nakedness so that I can be honest with you and say, I am going to continue to give into pleasure because pleasure really is leading us, right? Pleasure leads us to what, what is good and beautiful and how, what is it that we desire? Because if we don't know what we desire, we really are just moving around being told what we should desire, being told what we should want and who we should be and how we should look. 
But if instead we start leaning into our desires and we start leaning in, we've been told so much that desire is bad that we don't know now if it is desire that we have or if we're trying to appease somebody else. Because most of the time, what we call desire is a fig leaf, right? Most of the time we say, no, this is what I want. And what we're doing is trying to cover up an insecurity, trying to cover up shame, trying to cover up fear. And that's when it turns, on, it turns into something bad because we call pleasure what our fig leaves. And, when, and the real pleasure, the real things that we want, the real things that we desire, the real, the real person that we are, we hide from everybody else because we're afraid of judgment or we're afraid of not being accepted because at the end of the day, we don't belong to ourselves, but we belong to everybody else. We belong to just these systems or these communities or our family or whatever it is, but we don't belong to ourselves because we have decided that the fig, the fig leaf covered person is our true self. And we are so afraid of taking off the fig leaves and leaning into the true person that we are leaning into our true desires. How do we ever get to figure out the person that we are if we don't give into pleasure? True pleasure, our true desires, the true things that we want, you know, into asking all the questions of why do I want this? Like, why, why is it that I want this? Is it a fig leaf? Am I trying to cover up some shame? Am I trying to ensure that I belong into certain spaces? Am I trying to ensure that I don't get any more judgment and that I am accepted by another? I'm trying to make sure that my nakedness is not seen, that my true self, my vulnerability is not seen? Or is this something really my pleasure? Is this something that I want to lean into because I want to continue to uncover the true person that I am? So a commitment to joy and pleasure requires for us to start questioning the hegemony that normalizes shame and suffering, because we have been so conditioned to normalize shame. You know, we, we, call, we call heaven, uh, we, we've normalized suffering and demonized pleasure. That's, that's the norm in the world. Suffering is normal. Suffering is what you should expect. Everybody suffers. And I don't believe that's true. And then we've demonized pleasure. Those who give in to pleasure, those who enjoy food too much, those who enjoy sex too much, those who enjoy life too much, there is something wrong with them. They are just giving too much into their carnal desires. So we demonize pleasure and we normalize suffering, which means that we are normalizing hell and demonizing heaven. And in the meantime, trying to move toward heaven by making suffering normal. We are moving through the world, desiring something, but normalizing the opposite. And we're never going to get there. So it isn't until we resist the hegemony that normalizes shame and fear and covering and fig leaves that we're going to be able to lean into pleasure and normalize pleasure as our journey toward heaven. We have to normalize pleasure. And we have to be able to know ourselves enough to understand the difference between pleasure and fig leaves. Because fig leaves is going to give us just, a, just enough, of a, enough safety. It's going to make us feel safe enough to think that that's pleasure. Because we have given into so much fear. So we think that the covering up of ourselves, we think that the hiding of ourselves, um, and that, that brief moment of safety is the same as pleasure. But it's not. It's a still hiding. And so what does it look like to say, I, I, I understand that what I'm doing right now is just staying safe, but I also understand that this is not giving into pleasure. I'm just covering up enough so that I am not afraid to be able to give into more. Because safety is just so hard to find. And the issue is, see, the people in the garden, they didn't feel safe after they felt shame. 
They didn't feel safe in their relationship with God. They didn't feel safe in their relationship with themselves because they had to cover up. And so we spend a lifetime searching for safety instead of searching for pleasure. And safety is not going to lead us to heaven. Safety is just going to ensure that we survive. But pleasure is going to lead us to heaven. And to be able to give into pleasure, we also have to give into uncertainty. Um, we have to be able to say, I'm going to eat of this fruit. I don't know what's going to happen. Because maybe when I eat of the fruit, you know, I, I may just lose a relationship. Or maybe when I eat of the fruit, I'm going to find something about myself that I didn't know. And it's going to change everything. But at the end of the day, aren't we all walking through uncertainty? Because if we don't give into pleasure, we don't know what's going to happen with ourselves. We don't know how much of ourselves we're going to lose anyways. She could have never eaten of that tree. And then she would have never had knowledge. What, what is the trade-off? You know, what is the trade-off? We are so afraid of uncertainty that we trade pleasure for the illusion of certainty. Because giving into fear and giving into shame and, and covering up with fig leaves gives us an illusion of certainty. But the illusion of certainty is never going to lead us to heaven. So it's easier to lean into uncertainty and realize that at the end of the day, uncertainty is all that we have and be comfortable with uncertainty enough that we say, I don't know what's going to happen if I give myself permission to lean into my intuition and to lean into pleasure. But at the end of the day, I do know that I'd rather not lose myself for the sake of, of, of appeasing everybody else, for the sake of just looking right for the sake of being covered up with fig leaves so that everybody says like, look, she has fig leaves, I have fig leaves, we're all good. Instead of saying, I'm going to be the naked person, I'm going to be the one that is walking around naked, making perhaps other people uncomfortable, but also making them question, why can't I walk naked like that too? Because at the end of the day, we all desire nakedness. We all desire to belong for the person that we are and not for the person that we appear to be. What would be of the world if we all could walk around naked willing to give into our vulnerabilities and willing to say, this is who I am and this is who I desire. And that is not an excuse to hurt anybody. And I hope that's clear. But what would it look like? What, what would the world look like if we could say, I wanna give into who I am. I wanna be honest with who I am. I wanna give into my intuition and I wanna continue to show up in the world naked, naked and unafraid. Because at the end of the day, I belong to myself first. And if I belong to myself first, there is nothing and no one that can take away my belonging. Belonging is intrinsic to who I am. So I get to exist in the world and I get to expand in the world and I get to lean into pleasure and beauty and joy because that is exactly how I reclaim my true self. And that's what I think it is to become divinity in the world because divinity is not the fig leaf cover person. Divinity is the naked person. The Christ in us, the divinity in us, is the naked person that gets to exist in the world as their true selves, that gets to expand in the world as their true selves. So we don't get to become the Christ in the world. We don't get to lean into divinity in the world. We don't get to move toward heaven in the world if we cannot be trusting ourselves enough to be the Christ in the world, which means taking off the fig leaves giving into the pleasure of the world, giving into the pleasure of ourselves, what we want and what we desire, so that we continue to resist oppression and, give, and move toward heaven. Um, I'm going to read a quote from Pleasure Activism from Adrienne Marie Brown. And if you haven't read the book, it's actually very good. 
Um, pleasure activism is the work we do to reclaim our whole happy, satisfiable selves from the impacts, delusions, and limitations of oppression and supremacy. Learning to make justice and liberation the most pleasurable experiences we can have on this planet. I want to read the first part again. Pleasure activism is the work we do to reclaim our whole, happy, satisfiable selves from the impacts, delusions, and limitations of oppression and supremacy. If you look at that through the lens of Christianity, which I look everything through the lens of Christianity because I was conditioned to do so and I can turn the whole thing off. Um, pleasure activism is the work of reclaiming the Christ within us. Pleasure activism is the work of just becoming the true self, the one that we were created to be. And that happens as we give ourselves into our intuition, as we are honest with ourselves about what is it that I want, not what I have been expected to do, not the things that I do to fit in and appease and, you know, silence people. Um, we get all of these notions, like fake notions of pleasure. So we think that if we have enough money in the bank, we're going to have pleasure. We think that if we're married, we're going to have pleasure. We think that if we fit into certain norms, we're going to have pleasure. We think that if we get the certain job, we're going to have pleasure. But all of those are fig leaves, really. We're just trying to get to a level of certainty where we feel safe enough. But pleasure is found in other things. Pleasure is found in giving ourselves to who we are the real person of who we are. Pleasure is what the man and woman were feeling in the garden. You know, they were doing things. They were working, officially speaking, but they were not laboring. They were doing things out of pleasure, out of rest, out of beauty, out of being honest and true to the person that they had been created to be. And it isn't until they have to cover up with fig leaves that then God says, well, now you're going to labor and now things are going to get hard. And now you're going to have to work for things because you're leaning into shame and fear and the loss of safety instead of leaning into the true person that you are. So pleasure is not really about just enjoying everything that we're doing and, you know, whatever, though that's part of it for sure. But pleasure is about listening to our true self and giving ourselves permission to want the things that we want and go for them. It's giving ourselves permission to expand and making sure that the things that we're doing and the things that we're desiring and the, the steps that we're taking are coming out of our true self because there is pleasure in that. There is pleasure in being able to take space and there is pleasure in being able to be the person that we know deep inside is who we absolutely are. There is pleasure in not betraying ourselves day in and day out to be able to fit into certain spaces and be able to be acceptable for everybody else, but go to bed every night and tell ourselves, I betrayed myself again for them, for acceptance, for belonging that nobody can take away from me anyways. There is pleasure in being ourselves, in chiseling. I talk a lot about chiseling our way out because we have been conditioned to fit into these boxes and we have to chisel our way out of there. And we chisel our way out of there by leaning into pleasure and by leaning into this is the person that I am. And there is something absolutely beautiful and there is resistance in simply enjoying our life. And funnily enough, the Bible talks about it, right? Like Ecclesiastes talks about how um, it, I commend pleasure, it talks about, and just eat and drink and enjoy life because life is just short anyways. And that doesn't mean that we don't move toward liberation. It doesn't mean that we don't do the work that we have to do to resist oppression, but that work should come from pleasure. It shouldn't come from duty. It should come from pleasure, especially for marginalized identities. Uh, for marginalized identities, the work 
of moving toward liberation should come from pleasure. This is a pleasure. I want to do this. I, I am happy to resist, you know? Um, I get a lot of pushback. I'll call it pushback. That's probably nice. I get a lot of pushback online. And there is some sort of like a lot of the time people tell me like, how do you do it? Like you get so much pushback. How do you do it? And there have been times that I get scared, honestly, because they can be scary. Uh, and I take a step back. But a lot of the times and most of the times I, I actually get pleasure from it because I think it's hysterical that they are so pressed by the fact that I am speaking, just existing, you know. And so, so somebody tweeted today that I was that he was he made an entire podcast about me. And so I tweeted back just saying, why are you so obsessed with me? And I get pleasure from that. I get pleasure from that because I am resisting and I want my resistance and I want my work and I want my um, entire self to move from pleasure, to move from rest and not to just do things out of duty. At the end of the day, especially for marginalized identities, we only have a duty to ourselves. We, we just only have a duty to ourselves right? Um, I don't have a duty to anybody else. I do have a duty to not harm anybody else. I have a responsibility is really to not harm anybody else. Uh, and that's why privileged identities have the duty to end oppression because the privilege is harming others. But I don't have a duty but to myself, you know? And so I want the things that I do to be pleasurable for me. I want to lean into the person that I am. I want to listen to to my intuition and trust my intuition. I want to question my intuition too and realize is this my intuition or is this trauma informing me? Is this just trauma leading me? Am I trying to put a fig leaf on this? Am I doing the things that I'm doing because I'm covering up with fig leaves? Or am I doing the things that I'm doing because this is coming completely from my intuition and I wanna lean into the one that I am and become everything that I was supposed to become anyways. So, that's what I have. I also have a practice, but I don't know if you want me to share the practice or if we want to have, if anybody has questions or comments and we can talk for a bit and then we can talk about the practice. Yeah, so uh, let, let's open this up for a few minutes. If you all have a question, you could put it into the chat. Um, uh, and we've, let's say we wrap up at 1210 um, or six minutes, whatever time zone you're at. Um, and so you can raise your hand or you could drop something into the chat. Wow, Joe, you just, that was concentrated. Uh, that was, that was, that was amazing. Thank you. Thank you for that. And what I, I'll just reflect in the, as other people are gathering their thoughts and perhaps their questions. Um, but yeah, the, the, the form of Christianity that most of us are trying to get out of right now or out of is one in which it invites the abandonment of self. And to and then to pick up these fill in the blank Christian imperatives, um, and those things continue. That is an empire in itself because we no longer actually pay attention to ourselves. We're even taught that ourselves, our form of pleasure, our the the way we might deconstruct our own institutions, is inherently sinful, is broken, is selfish. Um, all in the effort to pick up exactly what this church or this denomination or or this community tells us we need to be. And so it's this like reckless abandon, which is even language that's like celebrated in Christianity that I think is deeply wounding because if we don't show up as our full selves, then we're carrying trauma, expectations, stress, anxiety, all of that into the community that we're trying to find heaven in. I think you're spot on that it's, it, it invites a hell more than it invites a heaven. So yeah, I mean, it's this very institution, it's this very faith that uh, never says 
rarely invites what you just invited. Um, and if it is, it's pushed usually to the corners of the empire because uh, y'all better fall in line. That's the only way we get through together. If we all just fall in line together and do the same thing and, uh, and don't sort of rock the ship, rock the boat. And how that's just so very rooted in fear, right? It's just, I am so afraid that I have to make sure that I control everybody else so that nobody rocks what I have created that gives me safety yep. because I'm safe. And if you're going to take my safety away, I'm not going to allow it. I cannot tolerate it. Yeah. Not realizing that in doing that, you are actually taking safety away from everybody else. So it's not real safety. It's just the illusion of it for you. And this is where women, uh, particularly women of color who speak are already speaking out of turn for that empire, right? Mm -hmm. uh, who have something to say. Uh, or Black Joy is another example of just, this is a body, this is a person that's out of place in this structure. Um, yeah. But yeah, so Sarah asks, uh, I'm wondering a little bit about the process of creating a countercultural reading of a Bible passage. Like I honestly cannot imagine getting past my evangelical upbringing to come up with a reading of Genesis three like this. How to get past that wall? Uh, gosh, it's been a lot of work. Um, but basically I just, every time I sit down and I read it, I assume that everything I've been, like I, I, I try to sit with it and say, everything that I've been giving about this is wrong. Even if it isn't, that's just my first initial assumption. Like everything I've been told about this is wrong. And I want to read it with just fresh eyes, pretend that I have never read it before. And now read it with the understanding of trauma that I have and with the understanding of all of these other things that I have and give myself permission to just be completely heretical about it. Like there's nothing wrong about being blasphemous and heretical and resisting and being even like a completely and absolutely disrespectful of God, you know, of this notion of God that we've been given. I give myself permission of doing all of that because a divinity that cannot handle my disrespect is not a divinity that deserves my time. I have to be able to disrespect God and God has to be able to understand that and sit in that and say like, okay, let's move from here. So giving myself permission to be completely blasphemous. And, and there is something about, there is something to be said about resistance when you are blasphemous because the God that we've been given is it's the empire God. So when we're blasphemous, we're really resisting empire. Um, so I just sit down with it and I give myself permission and I tell myself like, is, is my conclusion on this just, was just that given to me, Yeah, you know? And, and, and I am realizing that I will be misrepresented. I will be misunderstood. People are gonna think that I'm absolutely out of my mind and not caring because this serves me. This read of Genesis three serves me a whole bunch more than original sin ever did. Mm -hmm. Original sin gives me shame and fills me with guilt and fills me with this thing that I am like not good enough all the time and I am in need of this savior. None of that ever served me. It was actually really traumatizing. But reading Genesis 3 this way serves me and leads me and moves me. So I get to, you know, like nobody gets to tell me how I read this book. That's it. I mean, I guess you just have to be rebellious. <laughs> just be like, forget these. I don't have to do or read or understand these. I mean, I don't know if you've read 100 Years of Solitude. I love 100 Years of Solitude. And it's not because he's Colombian. It's just a good book. But I love 100 Years of Solitude. And if you ask five people what they get out of that book, every single one of them is going to get something different. If you are Colombian and you read that book, it means a million things that is not gonna mean to you because you didn't grow up in Colombia. You never went to a small town in Colombia and saw all the wild things that happened in small towns in Colombia. 
And that doesn't mean that your read is wrong and my read is right. It means that your read is coming from your lens. And we allow that with every other book in the world except the Bible. The Bible has to be read and understood through the lens of the most powerful, which is absolutely ridiculous. I read it through my lens and I lean into that understanding of my lens and that's fine. But they, you know, they tell you like, oh, that means that it's just your understanding. Yeah, because I'm freaking wise and I have the Holy Spirit in me. And that means that the Holy Spirit informs me too. It doesn't mean you have to agree with me. It means that this book is supposed to move me toward divinity, not toward your version of God, period. So yeah, that was a long answer for, but yes. Talked about 13 mics. Uh, and I think that hits on something that Sarah Sparkman just said, which is this is the first read of this passage I've heard that didn't inherently just blame a woman for sin. Uh, I know we're supposed to. I know we're supposed to wrap up at twelve ten, but uh, but Nisha asked an excellent question that I think a lot of us share. How can we begin to recognize when we're prioritizing a mindset of suffering rather than pleasure? What feelings should you look out for? Good question. Yeah, it is a really good question. Um, well, shame and fear are where you know you should be looking for. I read a book that was talking about. I don't remember the name of the book right now. I know exactly where it is in my bookcase. Um, but he was talking about how you have, like, when you ask why five times, um, you're able to get to the true hidden motivation of your, you know, behavior. So I think that we never take our time to be conscious enough and aware enough because we haven't, we, we are also bogged down with my oppression that we don't even give ourselves the time to be able to say, why am I doing this and not be content with the surface answer? Like, why am I doing this? Well, because I need to pay the bills and sure you do need to pay the bills, but why do I need to put the bills? Why do I, why am I really doing this? You know, going, going further into the whys and the reasoning for your behavior and your actions. And so that requires a level of awareness that first is really hard to get to, not because we are bad or because of anything like that, but because oppression doesn't let us have time to be able to think and to be able to stop. So even carving out time to say, I'm going to take some space and time to ask the questions that I need to ask about my choices and my decisions and um, is, is in itself resistance. Um, and, and you may not get to the initial answer like immediately, but if you give yourself enough time to ask, you'll know when you got to the right answer. So, you know, I know, I know when I am appeasing myself, I know when I am answering just to get, get the whole thing out of the way. And I know when I'm being true to myself and honest, and it's like, that's, that's the reason why I am uncomfortable or that's the reason why I want to do that. And it's not a healthy reason or it is a healthy reason. So carving up, it is my personal opinion that a spiritual practice is just that meditation, you know, that stopping and asking questions and taking time out of your day. That's why I think a lot of practices inside of Christianity are meant to be healthy practices, like taking the time. For me, prayer is exactly that, because if prayer is talking to divinity and divinity is within me, then asking questions of the, of the true self, the one within me, is prayer, right? So this questioning and this sitting down and these practices of being mindful unaware and conscious with our decisions will allow for us to know you know what decision am i making and then sometimes we'll also miss it and not realize after we do something uh you know my motivation was not exactly what i thought it was and then we lean into that and we learn and we meet ourselves with compassion we're like okay well i learned and that's it just meeting ourselves with compassion all the time because this is an experiment in learning life is an experiment in learning and evolving so your 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 uh, your invitation is wildly freeing 
because for folks who have grown up in any form of religion, it, the religion also often tries to precede an issue. So it tries to warn you away from something that you're going to come on to. Right. And when you wipe that, then you can walk any direction. And that's, that's actually the terrifying thing because you can actually make the decisions for yourself. And the grace that you invite right here of allowing yourself to just be and then reflecting on what worked and hasn't is maybe the guide, maybe the thing, maybe the invitation is not so much to predict the future, but is to just be and then reflect on it. Right. right. Because there's so many people trying to make their way out. And I think the way that we've learned how to how to be religious <laughs> is to follow a preconceived rule book forward. And right. I think to just not precede anything, any any act, any deed, any word of ours um, is is the act of spiritual freedom in and of itself. And reflection after the fact is probably deeply, deeply helpful. Is there evangelicalism promises that right if you do these four things then you are going to be fine at the end of the day you're going to be fine and that it's a lie you know it's a, inside of an oppressive system you we're not going to all be fine and also a lot of us follow those four things and we're in fine the opposite yeah so you, would, you wouldn't exist if, if if people were fine after that that's exactly right you would you you would have no stage to speak to the people who have been deeply wounded because everyone would be like oh these four things worked oh that's we just need to cut these people out and cut these people out and we're good to go. Uh, that's how it works. And how that removes the humanity of all of us, right? Just follow these four things and you're fine. Instead of, hey, just be, just be, just absolutely be and exist. Whatever that means for you, whatever that looks like, be. And we, we talked about these with Chris. Chris cannot call me and I cannot call Chris because when we talk, we talk for like four hours. But we talked about this the other day about how when, when God said, I am, and then Jesus repeated it too, I am, and perhaps that is what we are to move toward, the being, just being, existing, just being, I am, being able to say, I am, I just am, and how that invitation is so scary for everybody, because there is no controlling that, there is no, uh, you don't fit, you don't fit, you don't get to fit into these molds that I want you to fit into, so we cannot, so oppressive religion removes our humanity which means also removing divinity from us and it just completely goes against everything that god wants amen so we're gonna have to wrap up not because we want to but just because we have to and here's the deal y'all if you've been joining us for the first time at common ground we do uh we we step into communion which chantilly's gonna steward right here um but at the end of communion we say goodbye to everybody and then around 12.25, 12.30, for 30 minutes, we wrap up at 1 p.m. Eastern time. We have a follow-up conversation about that, which we just discussed. So, Joe, if you'd like to stick around, please stick around. If you can't, that's all good. But, y'all, you have lots of questions. Maybe if you have ongoing questions, lingering questions, bring those to the post-service hang. Um, and then, Joe, do you want to close just by giving us the practice that we should focus on? Yes. So, this is what I wrote. Um, for the practice, I was, I'm going to invite you. To just take some time out of your week and write down, like actually physically write down, what is it that you want? What is it that you really genuinely want? Everything that you want. Uh, what are things that you'd like to admit out loud, but you are afraid of judgment, either from your own self or those around you? And how are you resisting pleasure in your life due to fear and shame? Jill, thank you. Really, um, thank you, Joe. Just so many reflections, and I love hearing 
um, people ask questions. So thank you. I also just thank you for your energy and your fire. <laughs> thank you. I felt that through the screen. I was like, hi, Joe. I appreciate that. Um, I don't know. I just, I, I, I'm always, always encouraged as, as, um, as identified as a woman of color, when I see others just own the power, you know, it's to me, I'm like, oh, thank you. It's just such <laughs> expansiveness for me. So thank you so much just for your presence um, and your words and the wisdom that comes comes through them. <laughs>